This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Go right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. Before I bring in the rest of the team, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, we just thank you so much for being a part of another week of Longhorn Blitz. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7, click the subscribe button. When I say subscribe, it is free. You don't have to pay a fee to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a review and uh, click that five-star designation uh, if you so choose to do so. It would be greatly appreciated. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Matt, if my levels peak today, it's because <laughs> a little inside baseball talk is because I forgot my mic screen at the house. So, oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Doesn't so, know it'll be all right. right if you is, want is there, is there yeah. one? Yeah, yeah pass that over here. Man's mic screen? And the man that's, man's mic condom? The man Rod that's has gonna, all the lights on Clorox. Yeah. The man that's going to pass me the mic screen is the third member of our team. Our lockdown corner Rod here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your pro. Program number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Hey, Rod B, can I trouble you for some of that hand sanitizer? No, I'm just ahead. too lazy to reach into yeah. my bag and get mine. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. So, uh, I do. There is some, uh, some, a couple specific things I want to get to this week. We have we actually have some news to talk about uh, as we sit here. As we sit here and record this show, the Longhorns are 88 days until kickoff. Rod, what, at what point in the countdown do you start getting excited? Uh, I'm gonna say probably around like 45 days, like okay. less than two months. Because I, for me, it's 50. Once you, yeah, I gotta say, yeah, right around there. It's exactly right. right. It's I right do have a little there. bit whenever because I don't think about the exact days, like just not being in radio anymore. We used to have a countdown all the time, so I would always know how many days. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, whenever I heard it the first time, and one of y'all said that it's 96 days till football season, I was like, oh yeah, nice. Yeah, that's all. Like that did make me smile. I was like, all right, it's right around the corner. When it gets to 100 degrees. That's sort of my idea that, okay, football's not too far away because when it stops being super hot, that's Great when point. it's here. Yeah. We're about to embark on that hot time. Yes. It's coming. Yeah. So a little teaser for next week. So Chris Hummer's development rate story came out. Oh, I see. That out Love that story. Sports. I talked about it on the show yesterday. Uh, I want to give us a, a week to really digest it. And, and we always talk player development on this show. Mm-hmm. So that's a teaser for next week. I really want to look at some of those recruiting classes. And, oh, yeah. Kind of figure out what went wrong. Goes back to that bus change. rate discussion you guys have broken down for the last. Eight and I'll years give now. again. I'll give Matt credit for that because mm. I think was it Garrett Gilbert was the guy I think that got us on on that topic. It was well. <laughs> I think it was just us as Longhorn fans sort of wondered because like you kept on getting these classes, but then you sort of kept seeing diminished returns, but you weren't exactly sure. And like once you then have that class, and I think it was just that class that because class. it just sort of made it obvious. And it was like, okay, let's see how these things go, and then you can almost see patterns come up after that. And then when you reverse engineer it backwards to go find out, well, what, how were they hitting when they were successful? 
that was sort of it. But yeah, it all stemmed from basically oh nine to ten and that downfall. Yeah, but it was Garrett Gilbert, I think, was the recruit that were like Garrett Gilbert wasn't a bust. Like, oh, exactly. By no means that he hit his ceiling at Texas, but he started an entire season for you. You can't call him a bust. Yeah, so it was it was yeah. Matt and I trying to quantify a bust. But yeah, just real quick to get into that, and I'm I'm hopefully finally for this to be the summer that I can put some of that out and and how to organize it the way I want to in terms of a published format. But, right, I, I kind of call, you know, I, I kind of look at it in four-year chunks, mm-hmm. and, and your four-year chunk was kind of that 98 to, to 2001 chunk. Um, and I kind of call that prelude to a championship because there were some bust rates, but there was so much damn talent coming yeah. into the 40 that whatever, however many players busted out, you were having – all conference players and draft picks. And also helped that Mac inherited great talent too. I mean, mm-hmm. I went going back and looking at it, yeah, because that ninety nine bus rate, as you talk about, was actually ended up being pretty high for the I number think, one recruiting class in the country. I think mm-hmm. y'all's class bus rate was something around twenty four. 25%. You had a great a tweet, I think, too. last year about Chris Hummer's thing, and it's like a long tweet. Remember the thread you did? Yeah, if yeah. you want to go back and look at it, it's actually really good, and you go into some in-depth things about it, and you put out the 99. I don't uh, delete my tweets, which could get me in trouble. No, no, no. Well, games, no. <laughs> here, uh, yeah, I think you said here that 99 had a 36% bus oh, rate. was that high? Wow. Yeah, no, it was, it was above 30%. Okay. That's why I was shocked. But I think what cushioned Mac Brown – from you know, with that nine, that thirty six percent bus rate was. Think about all the talent he inherited, mm-hmm. man. Think about all the first round picks Mac inherited. I mean, you're talking about a Quentin Jammer. You're talking about Mike Williams, a really Casey good upper class Hampton, team. Roger. Yeah, you just he just inherited. And I'm not, by the way, they developed it. They put it in the right position to be successful. Mm-hmm. They did. They tweaked a lot of things. So give them credit. I'm not not saying they shouldn't deserve it, but considering where Tom Herman, what Tom Herman inherited, what Charlie Strong inherited. Mm-hmm. What now? Sark actually, I would say, is inheriting more than those guys. Chris Herman's did. that Makovic. Yes, because at least he's got the Bijan. He's got he's got the quarterback yeah. room revamped. He's got some of that. So a little bit better than yeah, there. That's what helped him. But Mac, remember, Char- Mac didn't give that to Charlie. Right. When Charlie with that bus rate for that <laughs> that 2013 Ooh. class, 46.7 percent. Historically bad. That was Max last year. Didn't give Charlie anything going forward. And then 2016, Charlie's last year. 39% bus rate, giving him almost nothing, having him have to start over from scratch almost to rebuild the those roster. Those are the guys, that 16 class, those are a lot of guys Herman ran off. Yeah. Jordan Elliott, yeah. Chris Daniels. Coaching changes. I'm not, I'm not picking that, on those though. two guys, mm-hmm. but those two guys just jump out. Coaching changes. Gene Delance do that, transferred yeah. out of that class. So. Yeah. And there may have been yeah. more of that back in the day if it was more prevalent. It's just not many people transferred back in 98, 99, that same time period, too. I'll get yeah. us back on topic in a sec, but you know, the other thing that cushioned the blow rod, too, and this is why I think the study that Matt and I started and I've kind of evolved it is so important is. You know, you look at, like, the 98 class, and in terms of NFL hit rate, it's not that high. It's like Ahmad Brooks, Marcus Wilkins, and somebody else. I think Mike Williams was maybe in that 98 class. But this, it's a very small NFL hit percentage, but your bust rate is incredibly low. I mean, you had – Because you got starters. That class was just a good, solid core. That's, you know, Irvis Hill and Lee Jackson yep. and Jermaine Anderson. 33% Everett. of them, I believe, you said ended up being starters. Yeah, Everett point. Rawls. The guys point. that eventually yeah. kind of got recruited over, but they, yep, they you're right. helped you. They got recruited over by my class. Yeah. It was that and basically that, that those, class, yeah. you know, one class. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right about yeah. that. People forget, like, Irvis Hill started a full year. Irvis Hill started a full year. Hell, Brooks ended up starting and then got benched and then started again. Mm-hmm. It became so a two-time two starter for you, different, like, different eras, basically. Lee Jackson GD. was a starter for you at two different positions. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, you got, they got started safety and it started at yeah. linebacker. No, no. They Marcus, get, get Marcus Wilkins was a special teams guy in college and then was a special teams guy in the NFL. Being yeah, a that's about the most unknown longhorn yeah. from that era. Yeah. So what first, I, uh, Mac Brown's first commit, by the way, if you want, oh, yeah. if you want to win a bar bet, Mac Brown's first commit was Marcus. That's Wilkins. a great one. Shout out! That is a great little factoid. Yeah. Uh, random. I know we're gonna move on here, but that 2018 class for for Tom Herman, it's right now just starting to get close to that 30 percent bust rate because all the transfers and guys. So right now it's knocking on the door. It's, right now it's right at 30 yeah. percent, and it could spill over. But the interesting thing was, it's just that you still got a lot of good quality starters and stuff out of that class, the but problem, it is creeping close to that The 30%. problem the 18 class is going to have, Rod, is a lot of those guys, if they're going to hit their ceilings, it's not going to be at Texas. If Jalen Green hits his ceiling, it's going to yeah. be at Mississippi right. State. If Keontae Ingram does right. it, 
it's going to be at USC. And this is why you've also kind of got to look deeper, and that's why I want to really dig into Chris's study before we really full-on discuss it here on this podcast. But, you know, you kind of got to take it on a case-by-case basis. Like Keontae Ingram, he's not going to fall into the bus category, but nope. he's he's probably going to fall into that significant contributor category. Oh, yeah. But is he going to hit his ceiling at Texas? Mm-hmm. No, but the fact that he got passed up by B. John Robinson at the end of the day – it's almost that it that one instance. It's almost null and void. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the, Mal- the void. It's kind of like the Malcolm Epps thing where that didn't work out. He's not contributing to the bus rate. He's probably going to go in the minimal contributor category. But you've kind of found a tight end in Jared Wiley, and you found an X receiver in Troy O'Meary. So the Malcolm Epps thing doesn't hurt you. Where, where what I found out, and again, I promise we'll get back on topic. What I found out when you're your bust rates or your guys that fall into that minimal contributor category or really don't contribute to your NFL hit rate, where it really starts to hurt you and impact you is when you're talking about really kind of defensive linemen. I'll throw edge guys in there too with your interior D linemen and offensive linemen. Basically, line of scrimmage. If you start having holes in the pipeline in the line of scrimmage, Texas, that's where you get it. Which Texas did on the offensive line. Defensive line, not so much. We haven't had holes like that. Defensive line has been pretty steady. Shout out to Oscar Giles because he's amazing. a big part of that. But it's been pretty steady no matter what the pitfalls have been in recruiting. Even even guys like, I mean, guys that didn't have, even when you were cups down. of coffee in the NFL, like, like a Paul Boyette was a multiple year. Oh starter yeah, I mean, think about guys you know? who just we don't even think about like who's still starting in the league, like Hassan Ridgeway. Like mm-hmm. we don't even think yes, about that exactly. guy. Like, he's still Your the Marcus league. Johnson's. Yeah, you go start tracking the D line for Texas, man. They've done pretty damn good in that pipeline. Cedric and it's, Reed's another guy. Yeah, yeah, they got a lot of guys, man. Hell, we just don't. Hell, Jackson Jeffco still in the CFL ball yep. now. I mean, it's just we just don't. Cedric Reed was playing well in the XFL before that thing. Yeah, got it's just Peter yeah. Forge yeah. as elite as it gets almost. If you aren't Iron for Donald. A hand, like or like six foot seven, you know, like yeah. you keep, if you have a freak frame. But if you're talking about guys that have overachieved expectation at that position in that league, he's a guy that you oh, want. No I mean, doubt. that's what your goal is. And I love that you brought up a guy like Ingram because Ingram's career at Texas sort of, you know, goes full circle back to how we began this conversation. A guy like Gilbert it was a big recruit that mm-hmm. gave you some contributing years, transferred out, and those are the type of guys that if you can fill your roster and you, they fill a void. And think about it's a good way. It's like the idea of win above replacement, but in football, like, okay, what would that position group look like if that guy wasn't there that year? And if there was no Keontae Ingram or if he was a bust, the running back room would have cratered. He's a great oh, bridge. They Exactly. He's and those bridge. are the type of situations yeah. where if you don't have those, and it's across all sports, you'll see it in the playoffs in the NBA right now when the better players off the court, and then what happens to the team? It was like... I think it was Luca outscored the Clippers, but it was like negative 54 the minutes he was off the court. It's the same thing. The reason why, say, Denver won was because the bench units performed better than mm-hmm. when Jokic is on the court. When he's off, they were actually good. So that sort of can show you the idea. Same with football. Like, if you're there with Ingram, yeah, it wasn't great. But if Texas hadn't had Ingram to take those snaps and those carries, who would they have gone to? What the offense would have looked like? How more reliant would you have been on Sam? There wasn't any depth. We had tons of injury issues. So those are the type of guys for the contributor that can be thought as an afterthought but actually do provide insane value just because of like the position group they're in or the certain circumstances of that time. Two things before we wrap up the discussion. Transfer portal is going to change everything because – when you used to have those voids in your recruiting class or you would have that bus rate, you used to be able you used to have to take a couple of years mm-hmm. to replenish. And now you don't have to worry about that. You're talking about instantaneous, you know, replenishing Healing of Robinson. those sources. Yeah, just go in the transfer portal, go find whatever position of need. And when you go track all this stuff for next week's show or whenever you're going to put this in publishable format, look at the bus rate of that 2017 class, man. It is starting to be... What seventeen? Yeah, the bus. Go look at the bus rate and where it's creeping towards for the seventeen class. The, the, you talking about the Sam right Ellinger class? Yeah, the bus because it was such a small class and. Oh, are you talking about it being good? I'm talking about the bus. No, I think the bus rate's pretty high for it. No, yeah, Rob, the bus rate for seventeen is pretty low. Maybe it's eighteen. Really? You were talking about 18, eighteen. Is eighteen is creeping up? I thought seventeen was starting to get high. You got what? I'll pull it up. You end up getting seven guys end up transferring out. I'm not now. I don't know what your 
your like definition of bust is, but so you end up having a lot of guys end up transferring out for the seventeen class. Tony Carter for sure. I mean, you end up getting six, seven guys um, that are no longer with the program that didn't stay with the program. Yeah, I that would be okay. Let me let me just look. You at know this what I mean? That's a lot of class. Well, percentage percentage wise, and I haven't finished tracking the seventeen class, so you might be right with percentage. I mean, just go look at the guys who, who literally didn't stay here. Okay, Tony Carter. Okay. Um, let's see, Jordan Pouncey, uh, Rob Cummins, Joshua Rowland, he was a Juco guy, so we don't really factor. Oh, I factored him in, but he came in. He came in. (laughs) But I mean, that class, that class has been, it's been. I'm not saying they didn't have guys that contributed, but still the bus bus rate starting to creep pretty high. It's been a pretty good bridge class. I mean, with Sam Ellinger, Taquan Graham, Gary Johnson, uh, Montrell Estelle still in the program. Josh Thompson, Reese Lato grad transfer, Marcus Bimmage grad transfer. Kobe Boyce is one of those guys that's borderline. I know, and he retiring. You you on you, you're on seven right now. Yeah, you're at seven right now. How how, how big was the class? Eighteen guys. Really, seventeen enrollees. Okay, so yeah. I'm, saying, yeah, really I'm nice. just saying it's a small class, yeah. and you end up with six, seven guys right now. You're like, yeah, they could be bust or not. That's a really high bust right now. It's a good bridge class because you end up getting your quarterback. It's all about the yeah. value of yeah, the class. You got, you got your quarterback. You got a bridge at the quarterback position. That was your mo- that was your biggest issue. You were in quarterback hell at the time. That's why you look at the class as a good class. If you look at the class and breaking down the data of a bust rate, that's a really high you're, bust rate on that class. Yeah, that's uh, a big boom bust class. You had it's a, some, exactly. It's exactly. a Exactly. Yeah, like if you're famine. talking about your a hits were really strong. I mean, your hits in that class. Yeah, your Sam, hits. Gary Sam Johnson Ellinger, was a great Taquan hit. Taquan Graham, Sam Ellinger. Exactly. I'll say Josh Thompson was a captains. multi-year starter. Derek Kerstetter. Yeah. Kate Brewer. Sam Cosme. So your, your right. you hits got in that class. Great hits, were, but you also got a high bus rate. Yeah. And so I'm saying, like, I just think mm-hmm. we, the, the way we now have to – I don't know, the, the formula that you use now, I do think it's changing yes. in terms of how the bus rate affects you. I think the transfer portal you is probably a big part of that. You can survive easier now. Yeah, it used, to, it used to be more devastating to you as a yes. program. I don't think it's as devastating as it used and to I'm be. Th- I think what I'm going to have to do, honestly, yeah. because there's not a, you go back to Max early classes, there's not a lot of JUCO guys in there. Nope. But I think once he started that wave, yeah, I, think, I think I've got to go back now and, and put factor JUCO guys into it. And Tom Herman was... Picking which, up JUCOs. Which is going to yeah. increase the bust rate of that 13 class because I got to include Desmond Harrison and he's going to count towards the bust rate because mm, you pretty point. much got nothing out of him. That's true. That's a good point. No, you're right. Yeah, because Chris Hummer does that too. They, Him and Christian Corona, I believe, they they rethink their formula based on like transfers and different yeah, things. Now. So yeah, because the last few years have yeah. definitely changed. It's, just a, it's a good conversation. It's so deep. You can go I down the you, rabbit hole. I think, you gave me a, I think you gave me some research to do during oh, my vacation, so Rod, when I can go into the bunker in early July. I just took your tweet, and I went down the rabbit hole because of that, and it was really good. So anyway, we'll get into it. Sorry uh, about that. Let's talk about transfers, though. Let's yeah. talk about Keelan Robinson, the Alabama transfer. So I reached out to some Bama folks just to gauge, okay, because you never know like when guys yeah. transfer, and I don't follow Alabama spring practice because I'm covering a program during spring practice. <laughs> so, I, you know, Keelan Robinson got back with him, and Nick Saban had really good things to say about him during the spring, that, you know, he was had the potential to be a kickoff guy. He was experienced and, and was able to pick up the offense, blah, blah, blah. You can find the Nick Saban quotes online. I'm not going to regurgitate them here. But so I asked, I said, you know, what is the deal? Would he have played at Alabama? And mm-hmm. – Pretty much a lot of it was going to hinge on if Trey Sanders is healthy. A lot of Texas fans will know, remember Trey Sanders is a really talented running back coming out of IMG. He picked Alabama over Texas in that 2019 cycle. Really, in a roundabout way, his decision to go to Bama helped you get B. John Robinson. So, Ooh. yeah, it's where the butterfly effect of recruiting. Like it's weird how it works. Mm-hmm. But so a lot of it was going to hinge on Trey Sanders' availability. And basically, if Trey Sanders was healthy, the Bama staff was thinking of creative ways to get Keelan Robinson on the field because he's really talented. He was a sub-4-4 guy in high school. If you're fast enough to be a kickoff return guy for Nick Saban, in my opinion, you're fast enough. So speed, athleticism, that's not a question. They were talking about, hey, do you kind of look at him situationally a wide receiver, kind of a slot guy? So there's a couple things here. Yes, he would have played at Alabama, but this is similar they're in a position now, not that Texas would had every position like this because we know some of the defenses under John Makovic. The Alabama offensive staff is basically in the same position Bucky Godbolt was in once upon a time. Where, <laughs> and I just mentioned Bucky because I just saw him get up and walk out of the other room. Uh, basically when he had a backfield with Priest Holmes, Ricky Williams, and Sean Mitchell, and he had, he had to go tell Wayne McGarry, yeah. hey, you're a really good player, but if you want to play, you, you might want to go move to wide receiver because there just aren't going to be enough carries for you. Worked out for everybody. Yeah. 
<laughs> all all yeah. of those all of those guys in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. He ended up getting some form of even if it was a mm-hmm. cup of coffee in the league, but Priest and Ricky and Wayne stayed in the league. When you Ricky, Sean Mitchell's so. probably the only guy that didn't get as much love as he should have out of the group. Sean Agreed. Mitchell's a thousand yard rusher. I know, too. but I'm just saying, but he's remember, an afterthought. He People, was a thousand yard rusher early in his career, and then was overshadowed late. Well, the other guy. Being the kid from Austin, me especially in the '90s when like people won't remember high school football in this city was horrible, just across the board. And that was the first kid ever like that came up and came to Texas and was good. It was like, who's this kid from LVJ? Like that's amazing. No, no, he was was really good. I mean, he had a burst. I remember y'all were doing a thing on Light the Tower. This was like I don't know six months ago, and talking about your favorite niche guys that weren't maybe your. You know, best players, but guys that you just love to watch. And it's like, man, Sean Mitchell, he was one of the funnest running backs. Like, we hadn't That's had crazy, a man. fast highlights, twitch. His highlights were must-see TV. That's crazy. Yeah. Is he the most underappreciated 1,000-yard rusher in Texas football history? Yeah, and he did it with, like, Ricky <laughs> I and them. Anybody who rushed for 1,000 yards, no, and gets I, I think I In think the modern Hod- era. I think, the it's, I think it's Hodges Mitchell because of where he fell. He's I in think, between Ricky Williams and Cedric Benson. That's true, but I played with Hodges, so I'm probably biased. I know how good Hodges was, so yeah. I'm not like so. You're probably right, Agreed. but I don't see that because I'm on the I'm on the inside looking out. I th- I thought Hodges was amazing, but I played with him. He was yeah. my running back, basically him and Said B. So yep. I yeah, get you. Uh, I get you. That's a good point. That's a good point because Hodges Mitchell never gets he never gets mentioned. And he had multiple thousand yards, and he was like a workhorse at like five eight. Right, he's like 5'8", 195, 5'8", 200, and he was a workhorse. (laughs) Right? It's crazy. It was like a 300 touch a year. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. He took over all the usage. It was unbelievable. So, good point. He might be Hodges. That's a good point. Both those guys are in that that conversation. I mean, honestly, when we talk about underappreciated 1,000-yard rushers, Definitely the most underappreciated 2,000-yard rushers, Deontay, Deontay Foreman. Foreman. You forget. Anytime you yeah. talk about modern Texas running back, when's the last time we had, Texas had a good running back? I haven't had a good running back since Jamal Charles. I'm like, y'all yeah, forget there's a dope <laughs> yeah. Walker Award winner and a consensus than five years right. ago. I have seen that debate on Twitter and somebody yes. go, oh, damn, you're right. I forgot, I forgot about, about him. Deontay. Well, it's because that season you yeah. want to forget as a Longhorn fan. Great individual season for him, but for, for Texas fans, like, eh, like that was Deontay Foreman has to me the most, like, just I mean, you lost it. It's the most dubious record in school history. When he set the school record for carries in a game, he had 51 in that mm-hmm. loss to Kansas. Lost to Kansas that year. That's <laughs> well, just Shane, riding Shane him. Bouchelle was hurt, and they oh. just like they had no choice but just feed. feed well, and he was feet. literally trying to save Charlie's job on his back. He was, and that team was. Like, you could tell, like whenever that game ended and the way they wow. collapsed in the end zone, like that was some How bad emotions. As 20s. dark of a November day I, as they come. Nah, you're right about that. That's true. No, nah, that that was just. A, yeah, you're right about. That. He did, and he probably would have saved Charlie's job if. He almost did. Oh, yes. I, almost I just kept him. watching. That. I was in the press box watching that Kansas wow. game. Before reality set in that they might actually lose the game, I'm like, man, any chance anybody, any hope anybody had of Deontay Foreman coming back for another year, it is shot to hell in this game. Yep, you're damn right. You don't give a guy 50 carries and then say, hey, why don't you come back and get mm-hmm. some more you when know, you're not getting I, paid. What do you to, think Papa Foreman felt about that? <laughs> exactly. And then we weren't talking about Deontay's workload after the fact as much as we were talking about, oh, we're. We're about to have a coaching change. Uh, yeah, no uh, doubt. I remember that. Good yeah. point. There used to be a, th- a theory, Rod. My brother used to have back in the day, back when you played. Like, man, if you if you lose to Baylor, you get fired. I remember that. I remember this. John it was a real yeah, thing. That was to track it. Yeah. Dennis Francione. Yeah, you can go track it. Gary Barnett. There's a run of coaches where, oh man, you lose you to, Baylor to Baylor within a year, yeah. like you get fired. Our brows changed all though. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I started beating people, like that's, right. that's pretty much what it is. Losing <laughs> well, to Kansas, yeah, like, I remember that. Kansas, you're, you're now Kansas, you're you got replaced. You gotta go. You got to go. So back to the, back to the topic though with uh, Keelan Robinson. So I, I think I think his addition, Rod, it does two things. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing it does, number one, it bolsters what I think any Longhorn fan would agree is your strongest position group on offense. Stronger, yeah. Uh, because the skill sets with Keelan Robinson and Bijan Robinson match up to me one for one much better than the skill sets between Roshan Johnson and Bijan Robinson. Even though Roshan now really is more of a change of pace back with those two guys, but even then, like people forget how versatile Ro is. He's a guy that he's got a twenty catch season on his resume, and mm-hmm. as we know, like there aren't that many Texas running backs that have twenty catch seasons. Yeah. I mean, in the Big Twelve era, Ricky's done it. Hodges Mitchell's done it. Keontae Ingram, Roshan Johnson, Cedric Benson's done it. And I think maybe Selvin Young has one of those seasons. Sounds about right. But, and, and that's in the last 20-plus years mm-hmm. that that's happened. 
So a, a bat catching 20 balls at this place is nothing to sneeze at. So I just think you're taking your strongest position group and making it even stronger. And a position group that I've kind of, I don't know why, but I've spent a lot of breath and type space talking about wide receiver this offseason. Pretty much I think what this tells you, knowing his skill set, if you're anybody but probably, I'd say probably Jordan Whittington, I think, is the only guy, given the fact that he was healthy during the spring, where he stands, and the fact that he was really productive and the staff openly talked about how good he was and how quickly he was picking up the offense. Yeah. And Sark said he was picking it up better than anybody else on offense at one point. I think unless you're Jordan Whittington, if I'm anybody else in that receiver room, the Xavier Worthy thing should have been a signal, and this thing is definitely a signal to say, Man, i got to work my tail off this summer or I might not have a job by the time um, you get to camp. That's a good point. I think uh, you, I agree with you about him being more compatible with Steve Sarkeesian's philosophy on offense um, probably than Rojo is even, um, it, just because he's, he's the speed element, uh, the versatility in the backfield. Uh, I think that, you know, they do. It's, it's interesting if he's he's bringing in speed because we know he covered speed, the types of routes. So lensing kind of lends some credibility to your theory. You know, the type of routes he wants to run are movement routes. He wants to run away, wants to force defenses to play man coverage and run away from man coverage, crossing routes, uh, you know, rub routes, pick routes, uh, those long rainbow crossers. He needs speed so you can separate from those DBs and run away from them. Xavier Worthy is one of those guys. That's why a lot of people thought that Joshua Moore actually would fit in this scheme because he does, I mean, start covered speed. That's yeah. what he wants. He wants speed to put as much pressure on the opposing uh, defense as possible. He calls it break to daylight. It's his break to daylight philosophy with uh, the route concepts. So I agree with you. I think Keelan Robinson could be used in that way as a receiver, but I think it'd be a disservice not to utilize the multiplicity in his skill set. If he is a running back Mm -hmm. that can play wide receiver, then he's basically a running back with a wide receiver skill set or a you know, a, a a wide receiver in a running back body. Either way, you know, that Alvin Kamara-esque uh, Christian McCaffrey, some people call him, uh, I call him smart backs because they call him air backs. I think Jason Gary's call him web backs. Be, care- um, be careful there. I know, I am being careful there. Um, way, that's not me <laughs> passing gas for you that sound on the air. That's just chair, rickety chair. <laughs> but the premise is you want a running back that has a wide receiving skill set. So, that this essentially Keelan Robinson is that guy. I think it'd be a shame not to line him up in the backfield oftentimes and then just motion him out of the backfield and anticipating the matchup advantage for you, whether it be a linebacker or whether it be a safety on him, if he is indeed that explosive. So I think you can do that with Keelan Robinson. You, you've you talked about Bijan Robinson being that guy too. Mm-hmm. You can do that. I mean, you said that he's a good receiver as probably most of the, the actual receivers mm-hmm. on the team. Um, and I think – we, we've heard Sark say he believes the running back is the most underutilized position offensively in the passing game. So I think this all makes sense with his philosophy. He's yep. all about speed. He's all about running backs in the passing game, thinks they're underutilized. He's like, why do I have to run running back on a flat right all the time? I'm paraphrasing Sarkeesian here at his coaching mm-hmm. clinics. He's like, we should run those guys on more routes, on more you know, uh, evolved route concepts down the field if they're capable. Yeah. A guy that's capable. He yeah. believes the running back is the identity of the offense. Also, his words. So I could see him. Just, he's just stockpiling this running back room. Bijan, Rojo. You got a young Jonathan Brooks. You got Keelan Robinson. You got a Daniel Young. You're still in that fan club. Gabe Watson is actually. I think they saw the separation between uh, the top of that group and Bijan and Rojo and said, eh, we don't need, because Jonathan Brooks, we don't know where he is yet. Daniel Young, there is a drop off. Gabe Watson. If we're going to use a lot of these running backs, we need to make sure we have enough firepower in that room that when Bijan needs a blow, mm-hmm. it's not a significant drop-off. Mm-hmm. I think he might end up playing two running backs, two tailbacks that's, on the field at the same time. Not saying it's going to be this. his base, but he has hinted at it. He has said it. 100%. He has talked about it. I think he's done it at Atlanta. I got I got proof of it. He did mm-hmm. it with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman, and I have proof watching Alabama that he did it at Bama now too. Yep. Two tailbacks in the backfield at the same time. I think it'd be a, a disservice if he didn't do it here. I think he's going to do it. I think yeah, he is too. He yeah. did it a lot at Alabama, and when you look at the duplicative skill 
skill set whenever you look at these guys. It's so perfect of a fit because not only is Bijan, say, a guy that needs a backup, that it's hard to find a backup with a similar skill set so you yeah. don't have to change much of your offense. And you may have that in a guy like Keelan Robinson. He's maybe not or definitely probably not as good, but still to have that skill set in mm-hmm. addition to what you're saying. Not, it's a lot of the time, though, whenever you have that similar skill set, you can't play that guy alongside another guy. This is a different case scenario because right. you've already seen the evidence that the coach is willing to do so, so it isn't, say, a principle he doesn't believe in utilizing. And then they have skill sets that can be malleable in both whenever you can be able to motion them both. Out. They both can go out and play receiver if needed. Yeah. So that's so perfect that most of the time when you're finding a guy to repl- be a good backup to a guy – Rarely can he be on the field with the same guy. And Agreed. that's a really good uh, value to have when you're playing the chess game and you can't substitute in. Right. This, this is a massive offseason and a massive season for Andre Coleman. I, I hate to shift the conversation yeah. back to receiver, but you know, we know Sark likes running backs, and we know he's openly talked about wanting to get Bijan and Roshan on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. And he's talked about, he even talked about in the spring, not, not even mentioning those two specifically, but saying, yeah, maybe we do need to look at being more of a two-back offense. Yep. I think he's going to do it. He's, now, how, he's, he's hinted at it. How much will he do it? Will it be 20% of the offense? Will it be 50% of the offense? That I don't know. It'll be more than Tom Herman more last year. More than it was year. with Tom Herman. Yeah, Tom Herman, less than 2% of the offensive plays. They had two tailbacks in the backfield. A lot of those were kneel down. But I think there's kneel. a couple of big formations. I'm going to look at the numbers because I know we brought it up on a previous show. It was 2017. Was that when he – 16 was the year that he started doing it with Tevin? Uh oh, for Sark. Yeah, yeah, he was at Atlanta oh, following Shano. He, he followed Shano uh in Atlanta, and he did two tailbacks with Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman. Remember, Shano ran twenty-one personnel more than anybody. He was trying to bridge the gap between his time, uh, Shano's time there, and all the terminology and all their base personnel, and also be able to run some of his stuff. And he ended up having this kind of uh, fusion of ideas, and he ran two tailbacks when Shano usually uses a traditional fullback. Yeah. So that was in 2018. Cool. I'll pull yeah, it Yeah, because 2017 and 2018, because Shano was there in 2016. Yeah, uh, 17 would have been sorry. 17 and 18, and then he goes to Bama 19 right. and 20. So, but I think this is a big offseason for Andre Coleman because one of the things that's come out about the Tom Herman era since the regime change is how heavy-handed Tom Herman was with that receiver position mm-hmm. to the point where – no matter who the receiver's coach was, <clears throat> the word I got was that that receiver's coach, whether it was on-field development, recruiting, whatever, they were continually frustrated because they felt like their hands were tied because the head coach wanted to be involved to the point where I'd heard that there was an assistant coach <laughs> who basically got in trouble for extending an offer to Garrett Wilson without running it by Tom Herman first yeah. to where that assistant coach was, look, if I'm going to get in trouble for offering this guy – it's worth it. That but, guy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we that guy? We don't need to run this up you the flagpole. Yeah, this is, <laughs> we this is ask your permission as much first. of a no-brainer yeah. as there possibly the, could. Go, the diamond in the rough, that's the one I got to run up to coach. I'm like, I know he's an unrated coach, but I'll tell you, Garrett Wilson, was he a five-star receiver? Yes. You figured out pretty, pretty early. Uh, yeah, this uh, guy. Ask Bucky Godbolt, who was doing his games at the time. He told you. Oh, five star down the road. Crazy. Uh, but so wow. Tom Herman was really heavy-handed with receivers, so now we're about to find out, okay, it sounds like Sark is going to, you know, kind of be just let his assistants really kind of do their thing in terms of developing guys. Mm-hmm. Not that he won't be involved because all head coaches and play callers are, but this is going to be Andre Coleman's show. And can you go develop receivers? And everything I've heard about Andre Coleman from talking to K State people, just a, he, he's a just a good, solid coach. There aren't, he might not have any just overwhelming, wow, blow you away traits as a coach, but. No negatives. He's not going to detract from anything on your coaching staff, and he can be an asset. And we know Sark said before that he's he's tried to hire Andre Coleman twice, try, try to get him in, yeah. in Atlanta, and then try to get him at Alabama, and it didn't, didn't work out either time. So this is a big offseason for Andre Coleman to develop a group, and I think, too, Rod, part of the wide receiver conversation has to be you got to look at where Sark's coming from. And I think if you're a Texas wide receiver right now and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm I'm good. I, I, I should have a role in this offense. All Sark has to do is say, look, I just came from a place where two years ago I had four first-round wide receivers, Yeah, one of whom was a Heisman winner. So basically Steve Sarkeesian, if he's going to play fewer three and four wide receiver packages – he knows what good wide receiver play looks like. He knows what elite yeah, he wide receiver play looks like. So that. if he feels this offense is better suited to have 
an extra tight end or an extra running back, then I'll, I'll trust him that that's he that's him looking at this Texas wide receiver group thinking, I need some guys here to pick it up if I'm going to go if I'm going to use more. 11 or 10 personnel. Strangely enough, a uh, quote from Brian Davis quoting Sark. I've been looking at a lot of things Sark says, so I'm going to be holding his feet to the fire during the season. We're like, you're a liar, man. You said this in the offseason. But obviously, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm, gotta, I'm deep diving here. It's only the data that you have. You yeah. Gotta, but he did say that behind the quarterback, the tight end position is the most important position in his offense. I was, I was on and, that Zoom call when he said that. And, 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 I, and I think if you watch Sark's time as an offensive coordinator and as, you know, a, just really the office that he's constructed, the blueprints of him, the the, the, the philosophy. I don't see that. Well, the usage isn't there yeah. for him. But I think you – no, know, exactly. But I, I will say he may not be talking about exactly. in actual exactly. production. That's what I'm talking about. He may about. be talking about in how malleable the tight end makes his offense, how versatile how it makes him. How it Yeah, how he can take you from, oh, I can go from 11 personnel to 21. 10 personnel. Or, yeah, basically the look of it if it's a versatile tight end. Mm-hmm. So I think he's talking about that. If he is indeed serious, you know, about his value of the tight end position, I wonder if you'll see 21 personnel um, out there. I don't know if he – does he like the tight ends enough to put them out there is the question, right? How does he like – now, he said he likes Cade Brewer, but Cade Brewer is not a – He's not a game Versatile enough weapon yeah. as a tight end to really threaten defenses. Neither was Miller Forrestal. Right? So that's his exactly. Miller Forrestal. Jared Wiley is probably the closest thing you guys said. I will say some of those young tight ends look decent too, but it's interesting that he said that. So I wonder if you'll see two backs also with the tight end. Because he doesn't like the wide receivers, so I doubt you go 20 personnel, three wide receivers when you're not in love with your wide receivers. I think Troll, Mary, Jake Smith, and Jordan Whittington with a Rojo and a Bijan in the backfield is scary, but maybe Sark doesn't necessarily think so. And I'll go back and look at some of the data because I know Pro Football Focus will has some numbers on uh, players like Forrestal that I remember stood out. But when you look at that team, whenever he went down this past season, I remember hearing Saban and Sark talk about how much it changes the Alabama offense mm-hmm. at the time when he was out because Billingsley's a guy that's more of a your Jared Wiley type in the slider of frame, a smaller guy but a good receiver, but they just couldn't do nearly as much as they wanted to when they were losing him. I think it was the Georgia game. Yeah. might have been the game that they lost him for, and that was like bad timing for it because it really changed everything. Now they're Bama. They won. They dominated, so it didn't matter that much. But he also was saying that last season when they lost their main tight end. Interesting. Yeah, Cade Brewer to me, like he is what he is. He's not going to be – you know, David Thomas 2.0, uh, I don't, you know, to me, he doesn't even have, like, the elite trait that an Andrew Beck or, or Jeff Swaim had. But there's a role for Cade Brewer in this offense. Oh, no if question. You, if, you, if this is, and this was And you can thing, go 12 personnel like they did in the spring game. This is sometimes. my thing with Cade Brewer under Tom Herman, Rod. Cade Brewer can be, like, a, a functional part of your offense and help you if you use him the right way. If you're asking him to be Jermichael Finley, that's not his skill set. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if you're asking him to be Andrew Beck and yeah. Jeff Swain mm-hmm. and just blow stuff up, that's not his skill set either. You've got to use him the right way if okay. you want if you want him. Now, to me, Jared Wiley, like we said, he's got more of the three down skill set. He's got set. more juice, yeah. you know, as a as a player. Yeah. Yeah, you talked about, you know, some guys move the chain, some guys change the game. He has more potential to be a game changer at that position. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You got a money ball tight end because you really don't have a five tool tight end right now. I, I would even like to see Sark. You want to get funky in the red zone? I'd like to see him use Trail Miri the way that Texas used Dan Buckner in 2009 mm-hmm. as a flex, flex tight end. Bring him back the flex. Flex tight end, and then you have Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington as your wide receivers, and you can put you know Rojo and Bijan or Ro- uh, Bijan and Keelan, whatever. All right, in the backfield, and that could be. I mean, as a flex tight end, you know, sometimes you're not trying to do anything but get in a defender's way. Yeah. Right. And just gain leverage on the field. You're not trying to pancake block people in the red zone all the time. Yeah. And with all the crossing routes he likes to run to mm-hmm. and all and those drag routes and well, the pick routes right. and the rub routes. Dude, I, I put Troy Myriad flex tight end for some red zone packaging um, with two tailbacks in the backfield. I think it'd be a freaky combination. A lot of misdirection, uh, a lot of crossing rights, a lot of pick routes. You can do that even with the running backs in the backfield. Too. Buccaneers were doing it all season long because Chris Godwin's a type of guy that's lanky enough that yeah, they he's do not with afraid him? to be Oh, yeah, they had Antonio Brown and also, yeah. yeah. And Evans and Mike on the Evans. outside. And Great point. Good Godwin was always a slut. But they would be willing to even motion Mike Evans in sometimes, yeah. too, because he has that big frame, too. But Chris Godwin. 
Godwin's that type of freak athlete. Now, he's a little bit thicker and is more durable maybe. I'm not sure about Omir, you know, in that regard. Yeah. But if we're talking about wide receivers, you got to be licking your chops looking at it. I, and I know you all said the name earlier, and I'm not comparing him to this guy whatsoever. But we talk about, well, what's, you know, a weakness of Josh Moore? He's a pretty slight wide receiver, mm-hmm. not a big guy. It's like, yeah, so a guy like Devontae's. that just won the Heisman with, yeah. you know, Alabama. So, like, you can get more out of guys. It isn't as if, like, that's a non-starter, a disqualifier. If you have that body frame, you still can be used, maybe not to the level of an elite all-conference guy, but you still can be a D1 receiver. What I want to see from Steve Sarkeesian is, if we talked about this last week, Rod, he hasn't said anything where he's backed himself into a corner. No. But I do want to see him stick to what, and again, he hasn't been just gung-ho about it, but when you know I've asked him about receiver rotations and things like that, and he's kind of offered some insight, I really do want to see him get the best players on the field and move them around coming off the rigidity we saw under Tom Herman. And and I only bring up the Tom Herman thing in this context. And, again, like if you go back and listen to our podcast in 17 or our podcast in 14, they sounded similar. We were talking about <laughs> things we didn't like from Mac Brown that Charlie needed to change, things we didn't like from Charlie Tom Herman needed to change. So now we're talking about things from Tom Herman that need to change under Sark. Charlie wouldn't even play Deontay Foreman. He, wouldn't even, he didn't even start it took a year and the he first fit his game of his Doke Walker award winning season because Charlie didn't want to start Deontay Foreman. So, yeah, it ain't just it ain't just Tom Herman who right. can't see the yeah can't see. But it. I, I feel like I don't know if Tom Herman got blinded by that eight. We talked about a lot of things that happened in that eighteen season that kind mm-hmm. of blinded Tom Herman, and I think one of them Rod was the receiver group because you had three guys, your three primary guys were guys that perfectly fit the roles that you were recruiting to, to have in that offense. Mm-hmm. LJ Humphrey was just a mismatch. He's a matchup nightmare in the slot. Yep. And based on his skill set and how you used him, he was perfect there. He was perfect. You need you want your Z receiver guy, to be, you want your field side receiver to be a physical guy who can block in a run game but can blow the top off a of defense, well, hell, that's Devin Duvernay. Mm-hmm. And yes. you want your X receiver to be somebody that can go high point the football and body people up and make contested catches. Mm-hmm. You had one of the better ones we've seen around here in a while doing that in Colin Johnson. And they're yep. all playing well in the NFL. They're all, they're Next all on team. NFL rosters right yeah. now. So I think that was kind of the peak of it. And I think I think last year specifically, I think Tom tried to replicate that. And the pieces just didn't fit. They didn't fit the way. Like, we talked all the time, Rod. We were watch, I'm telling you, watching that Baylor game Square with thing. you, the way I watched it when me, you, and Aaron Hogan did the watch along and we're talking through it, that's mm-hmm. one of the best game viewing experiences I've ever had. It was had. fun when you can kind of talk through stuff. And, like, Joshua Moore made a couple of nice catches in that game, but all the talk from it internally and what Tom Herman said or what Mike Yersich said or anybody, anybody said about Joshua Moore, well, he's slider frame. you got to pay attention to how you use him. Then why are you just running him down the field in man coverage asking him to just go beast guys for the football? Yeah, you got to scheme like him open not, like a Devontae. Yeah, you're, not, you're, you're doing the opposite of what you say you need to do with that guy. So, but they learned how to use him late in the, in the year because in Oklahoma game, his best game, arguably, I mean, I think he has like almost 10, eight catches in that game or something, right? He has a ton of catches in that Oklahoma game because they used him in the slot. Go back and watch him. They run him inside, in the slot, in motion And over time of the Oklahoma State game. Too, um, wasn't, well, no, they, 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 they didn't. Oklahoma State, they only did it late in the game. Right, but they, I'm talking about they overtime, finally they did it, it in out. overtime twice and it ended up winning them the game. So the point is they knew it worked. And winning. still didn't do it. Exactly. So That's they knew how to use them and refused to do it. Yeah, like Bijan. Yeah, and it's like, well, I don't. You need to. I don't know what to say to that. How do I justify you as a coach then? Yeah. Yeah. Play your best guys. It's easy. Right? That's one thing Sark's been adamant about. He's very clear. He's going to get his best guys out on the field. Like he's basically said all the right things, and they're the quite simple and just a handful of things that the fans wanted. Yeah. But like he's done a very good job at articulating a lot of those same frustrations fans had. You're right, Josh Moore still left the team in receiving. It was the most productive. Yeah, receiver. it's just that's what I want to see from Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. Can you can you kind of follow through with what you've implied you're going to do, and you know what, Rod? I don't. I don't want to see one guy dominate snaps in the slot. I want to look up at the end of the year and see that between Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington and Josh mm-hmm. Moore, that it's almost equal distribution. Because we know we know Jordan Whittington can play into the boundary. Yep. We know Jake Smith can play into the wide side of the field. And if you've got this receiver group where there's no rigidity within those roles, then it shouldn't. It shouldn't free like. 
another frustrating thing. There was a lot of things to be frustrated after the TCU game, but one of the things like with Jake Smith, well, he hadn't worked at Z receiver. Why should your roles be that rigid that going from slot Mm -hmm. to field side just completely mind Fs a guy? It's crazy. Like, yeah. That's crazy. It really is. Getting out, just like, looking Rob, at- that would be like if if you're playing field corner the entire game and Coach Akita tell you, Robbie, you need to go to, go to the boundary, and you just don't know how to function. Well, wh- what are you getting accomplished? I will say that it, it is an adjustment. I will it's say because I've heard left tackle, right tackles talk about that switching. Uh, and, yeah, Josh Moore had eight receptions. He, most receptions he's had all year, by the way, in that Oklahoma game. And I just put him in slot. A lot so, of, me- lot of mesh stuff in that. Yeah, game. and they kept they kept moving him around. It, they found the formula and then threw it away. Like I don't know what the hell they were doing. Anyway, uh, but to your point, I totally agree. Devontae Smith, I remember a quote he had when he was asked about the biggest difference between the Mike Loxley offense and the Steve Sarkeesian offense. And he said the he said actually we're doing the same thing. He said he said conceptually it's almost the exact same. Like it's not. It said terminology. Saban forces the new coordinators because they change so much to keep the same terminology. Right. You don't you don't change terminology with Nick Saban because he understands the turnover that he has there. But Devontae Smith said the biggest thing was he said that we we ch- we changed wide receiver roles and there was this um, this fluidity between the wide receiver roles of your Z, your X, and your Y, and all that. So I I think Sark naturally. Lends it lends himself toward positionless football. He probably doesn't call it that. He probably right. calls it something else. But that's why he thinks about running backs as the most underutilized weapon in the passing game. That's why Devontae Smith, as uh, uh, you know, Matt just brought up, yes, slider frame, probably the smallest and slightest wide receiver to be drafted as high as he is in NFL Ever. history, actually. Yeah. But the reason he could succeed in Sark's offense, by the way, he's really damn good off the line of scrimmage, too. It is so overblown that you got to move him around again. Oh, yeah, go watch them corners in, in SEC try to jam Devontae Smith. He's so fluid. Uh, Derek Stingley and the best corners in college football, and they still can't touch him. All right, the guy's great. He's got great ride running, great explosivity, gets out of his brakes, got a great catch radius. All those things need to be successful. But, yes, he is slight in the NFL they got better bump and run corners, so they maybe get their hands on them. But Sark did understand, all right, I got to move all of my receivers around. So all his receivers played in the slot and in different places. And Devontae Smith said that was honestly the biggest change from Loxley to Sarkeesian. So I think at Texas we can expect the same thing. Yeah. It's just in the middle of a game if you need a guy. To, and again, but to yeah. your point, Rod, it is an adjustment. Just trying to get your best players on the field. And, That's and, all that matters. And maybe maybe at that point, if the adjustment is too much for a guy, maybe it's just you're dealing with a guy that just conceptually just doesn't understand – ball that well or doesn't understand what you're teaching. And, Agreed. and then at that point, that's a, that's a guy that's of really of no service to you. Yeah, it's the same, our same complaint when, why can't we see Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith on the field together? <laughs> why can't we see them on the field together? Well, they play the same position. What are you talking about? <laughs> Those are your two most explosive weapons on offense, arguably, because you don't put Bijan on the field, and you won't put them on the field together. I'll, nev- I'll never forget. What as long world as I are we live, living in? I'll never forget sitting <laughs> at a press conference after the Rice game in 19. And Brian Davis asked the question. Brian, I texted about this a few weeks ago and had a laugh over because it was the it was right after I asked I had asked Sark about rigidity with receiver roles. And Jake Smith had had that big game, six catches, a couple touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And Brian said, "Are there conversations about getting Devin and Jake on the field at the same time?" And Tom Herman's response was, "Well, why do we need to?" I don't know because you've got two guys that nobody can hang with. And- Colin Johnson's hurt, so get your best damn players on the field. For him to say that openly, too, and say it with arrogance. As if, like, why would I do that? And he was saying, like, you don't know my offense? That he backs up the other guy. And he would say that over and (laughs) over. I mean, it got to the point that it was very predictable. If you boiled Tom Herman's faults down to just, like, basically what can you sum it up, man? Arrogance and lack of a filter can sum up a lot. Yeah. From what we've seen until last week. That's four. pretty amazing that he would admit that. And it's, yeah, and but Sark doesn't think like that. Sark is always trying to figure out ways and reconfigure ways to get the best players on the field. That's why at Bama in 2019, when they had four first round wide receivers, they ran 10 personnel. What? They ran what they call it red, they ran four wide receivers. Because why not? When I got four first-round wide receivers, deal with that. But this and a first-round running back, deal with that. This goes back to something we talked about. <laughs> I just mentioned, like, how can you simplify things to its to its core? Yeah. I love what you say about coaches, Rod. The best coaches are problem solvers. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. I have a problem. I have four first-round wide receivers. How do I solve this problem? 
get them all on the field get at the same all time. The at the same time, <laughs> cause problems for the defense. And that's why going back to the running back conversation, he's got a ton of running backs. He's recruiting a ton of running backs. He's got Jaden Blue coming. He's got Tra- Ru- Travante. Well, he's Ru- got Travante Citizen. Owens. They had him in the twenty-two class. They had him on campus this weekend. Right. Ruben, Ruben Owens, Owens in the is coming. Class. All right. So you're recruiting all these great running backs. How the hell are you gonna keep them out of transfer portal and keep them out happy by playing one at a time? Nope. 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 He backs play up him. Two nope. tailbacks at a time at certain points in the game whenever you deem it necessary. And I mean, and there are tons of places where you can go steal plays. What I always say, STP, steal that play. You can go steal two back concepts from teams. The Packers are one of the teams in the NFL. They run a ton of two tailback formations mm-hmm. because they, they like it. And LaFleur, it's one of his kind of grand master schemes mm-hmm. to use two tailbacks. Go look at uh, Mike Norvell. Uh, we was at Memphis. Remember, it was running back you for a while. Oh, exactly, and, and you then still at, pumping them out. Still pumping them out. The, he was using two running backs at the same, two tailbacks at the same time. You can go steal from him. Brendan Marion, who was now, I think he's a wide receiver coach at Pitt, if I'm not mistaken, create the go-go offense when he was at Howard, I believe. Go check him out, man. Lincoln Riley stole from him. Cliff Kingsbury stole from him. Uh, Josh McDaniel's been stealing his plays. They call it the go-go offense. Just go Google it. But it's based on two tailback formations, and he claims he can run any run play in any playbook with two tailbacks. Go steal his plays. Matter of fact, I, I, I suggested they hired that guy, actually, because I wasn't a big, huge Andre Coleman fan. But I digress. We'll give oh, Andre Coleman another shot because Sark's now backing him. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, there are tons of ways you can steal concepts from other successful programs mm-hmm. and football institutions that also use two tailbacks. Hell, even Shano, you can go steal from him because essentially he uses juice check like, yes. a, like a tailback. He, I mean, the way he uses right. juice he check is not like a traditional like a fullback. Yeah, it's always spli- yeah, it's all these splice blocks and it's all this misdirection. So you can steal those concepts too. Well, like just be creative and go steal plays if you can't Sark come up with is, your own. Sark talked about earlier in the offseason, like he'll do that. He like, said he's a play he's, stealer. He's got his, like, they'll have, I guess, his group of GAs or analysts mm-hmm. or whoever. He broke it down like, and I, I with recruiting now, it's probably thrown just a giant monkey wrench into his Agreed. normal plan. But I think he said typically, like in you know, from the end of spring ball until like mid June, usually typically when coaches go on vacation, like that's all the analysts and the GAs will do. And then once you get into July, before you start planning, it's like, all right, bring this to me and let's weed out like based on yeah. our you know your personnel, your formational preferences, whatever. Here's what we can do, and can we implement this? I like that. I like that. And that yeah. I, I bet you that process is probably it's probably easier to steal plays and implement them in camp when you've already given your guys, assuming this has happened, this mm-hmm. has really happened, which we've heard behind the scenes that it has. Assuming you've given your guys the whole offense and, yeah. and they digested it all during spring, you're not really You'll have some play polish and stuff, but, but you're, you're right. not doing a true install in That's camp. true. You're just installing different concepts, but yeah. they're within the structure of your offense. So you got the foundation the terminology, during yeah. the spring. The guys will understand it. Yeah, yeah, you're putting up walls and I totally agree with you on all that. that fun stuff. No, you're right about that. When you brought up Green Drywall Bay and the way that they used the two backs, <laughs> it made me think about something that and it stems all the way back to we brought up Deontay earlier this show and when we had him in studio and talked to him and it was like a big criticism going into the pros, it was like, Yeah, yeah, but you just can't catch the ball and he's like yeah, I can. They just never they threw just it to me. <laughs> and, like, and you have to remember that about all these players yeah. on how they were used before, and then it, it isn't as if they don't – that's vacant. They don't have that skill set. Maybe it just wasn't used or looked into in a new set of eyes. Like a guy like Sark may be willing to do those type of things. And, like, when you brought up Green Bay, it made me think of – I was like, you know who one of those two backs in the backfield, the pass-catching back is? It's that huge Jamal Williams that ran all over Texas up in BYU in 2013. That, yeah. And he's yeah. the receiving back back on that team yeah like that's the idea even though his body type may not make you think about it you the way people said that, the same thing yeah. about Deontay Foreman <laughs> right. that he wouldn't do it but it was like what it, happened whenever Deontay's like first preseason snap it was like a 50 yard quick slant for a touchdown was. I remember that you know yeah. and so th- that it can be there even if it hasn't been utilized that was, shout out to Jeff Trailer because uh, when he was here and I think it's Jay Norville was here too when they had Chris Warren and Deontay Foreman they did a two tailback Set yep. with those two in the backfield. Well, I forgot they about, called it like the pony, it's like five hundred pounds. It yeah, was a pony, yeah, it's like a pony it or something. It was like Jonathan Gray and Deontay Foreman. They was a, yeah, they did it. Donkey, yeah. Boy, you talk about making chicken salad out of you know what. Yeah, fifteen. That that twenty fifteen offense and granted the past game is one of the worst we've seen at Texas in a really long time, but. 
that offense, as bad as that team was, they were like a top 20 offense in the country in rushing offense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. They were, like I said, they, I give them credit because they really looked at with, it as like, we got we got some really punishing the, running backs. With a quarterback in Gerard Hurd who, who can run. I love Gerard but struggled with the forward pass. Like, yeah. I remember the K-State game where it was raining and, like, Jay Norvell said afterwards, like, we couldn't throw the ball because Gerard's hands weren't big enough to throw a wet ball. It's like, no, I physically. <laughs> it's, like, it's like high school problems. Like right, I, what are we going to do like physically, yeah. He's like, he physically cannot throw Well, you know, the wind's blowing. It's wet. You just can't throw the ball. <laughs> we just go around the hell It was one of those deals. And, and, but it was, that was. That's problem solving. But that's, As a coach, you got to solve problems. And both of those guys are head coaches now, by the way. you got to solve, yeah. solve a damn problem. What, what, did, what did they do? Yeah. Like, well, we got Tyrone Swoops. He's not our quarterback. Damn, like, he's. He's 6'5", he's 240 right. pounds. 18 Willard is the same thing. Make him more short yard. It's a great point. the numbers factor and keep our Jeff Swaims or our Andrew Becks. Yeah, you know? And guys still playing in the league right now yeah, because yeah. of those roles. John Harris is willing to block. John that was when That was when we first saw Andrew Beck. The proliferation of him as a tight end. Yeah, Alex Delatore made all Big Twelve was a fullback yeah. on that team. <laughs> I know. So like, but you look at that team though, like that fifteen offense. And granted, it's a five and seventeen. Yeah, we get it. We it, get it. It was it wasn't fun to watch. But think about all the pieces you had. And again, you had a top twenty rushing offense with a quarterback in Gerard Hurd, who, mm-hmm. like we said, Gerard struggled with the forward pass at times. <laughs> you had Jonathan post Achilles, Jonathan Gray. Yeah, Dante Foreman. You had two true freshmen starting on the offensive line. Yeah. And basically, Marcus Johnson and I don't know what a wide receiver, Lee, NFL player that Marcus Johnson, and, yeah. Yeah. and you had you had an offense Still. that you had an offense that they had a couple forty point games. I think they had a 50, 50 point game. Was that against the year Kansas? that they spotted wow. Oklahoma and then almost came back and beat Baker? No, that that, that was, was the year the, they won. That, they that won was the year the they won. Game. Yeah, they beat, yeah. They beat yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How the hell is that? Because I think, yeah, that's when Charlie's got the finger in the head. Yeah, you're I right, think dude. Gerard heard that game. If I remember his numbers right, he was like five for nine passing for like 34 yards. And one of those passes, it was the forward flip pass to Marcus Johnson for a 27-yard touchdown. Yeah. So they won a game where Gerard Hurd literally threw for like 13 yards. It's like one of those that Garrett Gilbert Nebraska game. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, how yeah. did they win that game? Because they Leading ran there for like 313 or something. How did they win that like, game? Yeah. And still almost blew it. Oh, um, man. Now yeah. you're right. Yeah, Gerard Hurd was 8 for 11, 53 yards and one touchdown wow. in a and win what, over Oklahoma. And what, was, and what was Marcus Chicago. Johnson's long on that day? Four yeah. for 35 and a touchdown. Let me see the long. I'm not on the box. That's yet. amazing. But he averaged 8.7 yards per reception. Damn. And his long was 24. So 24. he had three for 11 other than So, yeah, 24. so Gerard Hurd threw for like 25 yards in a Texas game with Texas beat bullied Oklahoma. Oklahoma in that game. Foreman, nine for bully one. Ball. And, and Deontay only got nine rushes. They never wanted to. Remember, Deontay didn't start. I believe he didn't start until 2016, if and it, it was the second game of the season. If if Chris – no, it was because he he's got set out like the coach's the decision to sit him out. Think about how much better his numbers would have been if he would have played in the UTEP game. Yeah, right. the UTEP game was the one that they basically gave him the night off because, oh, you carried 30 times against Notre Dame. We'll give you the night off. Like how much better his numbers would have been. But, Rod, yep. if Chris Warren doesn't blow his knee out in Stillwater, we never get that year from Deontay Foreman. You're probably right. And he was averaging, like, I want to say over five yards a carry, too. He was averaging, like, almost six yards a carry before the Doak Walker award season. <laughs> and it's like, they didn't want to play him. I'm like, why aren't you playing this guy? What is going on? He was on his way to like, he was on his way to all Big 12 and 15, and then was it the West Virginia game, I think, where he broke his hand, broke his wrist? This, oh, this Texas OU box score is amazing. It, it is. is. You, know, it you is, look man. at it, like, literally, you beat a team of Baker, Mayfield, uh, Sterling, Shepard, D.D. Yeah. Westbrook, and Samaje P. O- Ryan and Joe Mixon. That Oklahoma team that. was in the Playoff. Yes. That Oklahoma team was in the How playoff. The hell did that happen? And you Burt physically had, bludgeoned them. Other than Marcus Johnson's four receptions, you had two for five yards for John Burt, one for nine for Lorenzo Joe, one for four for Andrew Beck, and one for two that touchdown to Caleb Blewett. And that was a, he swoops, caught a, touchdown. That was a swoops touchdown to Blewett, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I Let me so. go. Yep, one for one. That's a. Cyrus was one for one for two yards and a touchdown. Efficient. <sighs> mm. And four for fourteen in the touchdown. Man, well, swoops. Five plays, two tuds. We saw we saw Jay Norvell and Jeff Trailer solve some problems. I didn't even think about that, Rod. Like both those guys are yeah. head coaches that have taken their teams to bowl games and yeah, I guess those Jeff guys. Jeff Trailer did a good he's doing a good job. Which just shows you like at, at Texas, this program hasn't just continually hired bad assistant coaches. They're not imbeciles. No. Like for some reason we believe coaches are, are highly mm-hmm. thought of, and then they come to Texas and they all of a sudden become football idiots. And it's like, no, they're not all football now. Herb Hand, that may be different. But most of these guys, <laughs> oh. I joke. I kid you, Herb Hand. 
cook a brisket. No, I'm just saying, like, most of these coaches least, are still damn good coaches. At least you don't do your coast on the triple option. I think BK, BK still calls them herb. Herb? <laughs> no, I can't herb hand. Yeah, but I will say that. We her- have seen some bad assistant coaches. We have seen but they're some. But they're not all dummies. I mean, most of those guys have gone on still to Brian Hart's the head coach. Yeah, Manny Diaz is the head coach. That's what I'm saying. They're not scrubs. Jay Norville, Jeff Trailer. They're not scrubs, man. Yeah. Man, USC is basically Texas West when you look at the players that are going over there. It is now. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, that's, uh, that's as good a place as any to uh, wrap it up for uh, for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on that triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast and click the subscribe button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a review. Five stars would be preferable, and we thank you so much for doing so. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.